listening to Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica and Heidi. We're a team composed of one black woman and one white woman coming from different backgrounds, but united in friendship. We provide a forum for discussion and action around racial repair, reconstruction, and eventually reconciliation. We are passionate advocates for treating all humanity with love and respect. We contend that hosting conversations gives us an opportunity to develop relationships and engage with our community to create joint, achievable, and long-lasting solutions together. We invite everyone to come to the table for these podcast discussions, but know that the expressed opinions and perspectives of our guests are their own. Welcome back to another Bridge the Divide podcast. And our subject for today that we want to talk about is interracial adoption. I think I have, it feels like out in the the suburbs, I've seen several families that have adopted um, white families that have adopted black children, um, Latino children, Asian children. And um, I think that it's just, there's, there's some nuances there. There's some questions there. There's there's a struggle there when you're adopting someone that isn't the same race as you are. And um and I think that it's it's a good time for us to kind of talk about it on the radio because that's what we do. Um since neither Heidi or I have adopted children, we have phoned a friend. We have my friend Becky on the the call. Hi Becky. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, so we're going to start out maybe with having uh, Becky tell a little bit of story, a little bit of, of about her family and um, and about some adoption stories she's involved with. Sure. Um, our family, um, well, started out with my husband and I, and we were, from the beginning, very open to doing foster care and adoption. Um, I was a foster care case manager for several years and I think that just sort of drove home the point to us that there are a lot of kids out there who need families that are going to love them. So after we had our three kids that we have biologically, um, when our so we have um, our oldest son and then we have twin girls. When the twins were about four, um, we said, well, we think we're ready to go ahead and step out there and, and do that. So we started the process. Um, and through, we had a few um, foster care placements. Um, we, our heart was to adopt. We wanted to be a forever family for some kids. So about a year and a half for two years into our fostering process, we um, had a a little boy placed with us permanently. So um, about a year after that, he we actually were able to officially adopt him. And then a few months after that, um, so we officially adopted him in December. And then later in May, um, we 
got a, a call that um, my husband texted me at work and he said, hey, how about a baby? And I was like, sure. Oh, Why not? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he said, uh, the caseworker called and said they're going to bring her over around 5.30. And I was like, all no. right then. <laughs> so, um, so then our youngest joined us. Um, it was Memorial Day weekend. And um, she, at the time, uh, was placed with us just for foster care. Um, but through a series of events and court proceedings and all kinds of things, it was um, a lot of very a lot of uncertainty, um, more so with her than with our other son who we adopted. Um, eventually, uh, it happened that we were able to adopt her as well, and so she was. She came um, to our home when she was six weeks old, and um, she was 15 months old then when we were finally able to officially adopt her. Congratulations. Yes. And Thank you. It was an amazing day. <laughs> um, so since, since our, our episode is about interracial adoption, um, what y- you are um, white, and what uh-huh. about your daughter, your, your last daughter that you adopted? Our youngest daughter is African American. Okay. So, how? What was that? Was that process since you had done it once before? Was the process difficult because you weren't the same race, or did, you know, was it an emergency so it didn't matter? Or how? How was that different from from your point of view? Or was it different? Um. It wasn't different because of race. Um, it was in Michigan. It's the way they kind of look at families: is a family is a family, and a kid is a kid. Um, if they can place kids with families of the, you know, of a similar race, they do. But I mean, it's very much just sort of like it's five thirty on a Friday, and we have a baby, so right. we have to find right. a family. Um, so. Um, yeah, so in that sense, it wasn't different. It, it was different in some other regards because um, just legally the situation was a lot different mm-hmm. than um, our older son who we adopted. So there were a lot of different things there, but um, they re- really that was more legal issues than it was racial issues. Okay. And you obviously, um, as as um, husband and wife who were ready to give a baby a forever home, were ready to love on her. How did the siblings kind of react? Because she looked a little different than everybody else in the house. Um, well, it, it was interesting. So she um, is a diva, and I tell the <laughs> older kids it's their fault. <laughs> From the pictures, I would 100% agree. <laughs> responsible for spoiling her rotten. Right. Um, she, I think, because there's such a big age difference too. So there's a six-year age difference between between her and our older girls and eight-year age difference between her and the boys. Um, so she, oh my goodness, they were over the moon to have a baby. Um, and it was really interesting just the way kids, I guess, see the world. It was, I think we were like two months in before one of the kids goes, Mom, I noticed something. Her <laughs> skin looks different than our skin. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it does. And they were like, 
I just thought she had really curly hair, but I noticed that's different too. And I was like, yep, it is. And then we just sort of like moved on, but it was just funny how kids are, they just have a different perspective and um, they were, it literally took them almost two months to even like notice that that was a difference because it was just like a baby. We love her. Who gets to feed her? Who gets to hold her? Who's playing with her next? Becky, um, so Becky, I was yeah, reading how that part went. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, this is Heidi. I was reading about interracial adoption, and it's really not that old legally. It sounds like it was um, only in 1996 when they passed the Multi-Ethnic Placement Act, um, because before that they were trying to match parents um, with families of their same race because there was concern that only parents of the same race would be culturally sensitive enough to raise children of other races. Um, what, what do you think about that? Um, what's been your experience? Are there things that your family is going to try to do to, um, support your daughter in her heritage? You know, just, um, what have you, uh, found with other families? I'm assuming that you have other friends with, um, who've also had some interracial adoption. I would assume that you have a community of people that you talk about these things Mm -hmm. with. So that was a lot of questions. Um, Yeah, that's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that that law was, I understand definitely where it comes from. Um, And I understand wanting to be um, culturally sensitive to kids and making sure that they're being raised in families that aren't, going to try to erase that or change that in any way. Um, and, and I'm glad it was changed too, because, mm-hmm. um, every kid needs a family and that's just what it comes down to. Kids need families that are going to love them. So, um, I understand it and I'm glad it was changed because, um, I, as a, as a, from the other end, when I was a foster care caseworker, um, not long after that law was changed, actually, um, I just know that there were a lot of minority kids who were languishing in the system hmm. be- because of that and hmm. and weren't getting families, weren't having people to, to love them and care for them. And that's heartbreaking. So the law, I think, was it had a good intent behind it, but I think the outcomes of it were not good for kids. So I'm glad it was changed, and I'm glad it was changed because I have my daughter now. Who, I mean, we can't imagine life without her. So um, that being said, families who are not minority families do need to, and I think most of the time do, ha- are aware of we need to learn some stuff. We need to think about where we live, where our kids go to school, what grocery stores we shop at. Just stuff like that that is important. We recently moved um, for several reasons, but one of the reasons was the neighborhood where we were was not very diverse. Hmm. And as she's growing up, we just, it's not just her, it's our other kids too. We want all of them to be around a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a kid who is in a minority group puts, I think for us, at least it did, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for us, it definitely put that 
out front more. And, you know, it's, as she's starting kindergarten next year, it's funny, my husband and I will have these conversations about, we know when we're at the kid's school and we're looking around and it's like, like, it's not like, we don't want her to be the only black kid in her class. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to us that she's at a school where there's other black kids and there's Hispanic kids and there's kids from, you know, Eastern Indian kids and there's kids from Latvia and there's kids from all over the place because that's, that's, first of all, that's the world and there's so much beauty in that, but then for her own confidence level Hmm. to feel like she's not the odd one out. And so those are things that come to the forefront, you know, things like, like literally when we go to the grocery store, the grocery store that we shop at, is there diversity there? Right. You know, is she seeing other people just out and about? Right. Just who, some that look like her, some that don't, some that look like her mom, some that don't. You know, is she seeing other families? And we are fortunate to live in an area where lots of families have adopted, and it's common to see families that don't all look the same. And but that's important to us that, you know, that's something, again, not that j- just that she sees, but that our other kids see, too, that families don't always look the same. They don't always have the same hair color, eye color, body build, skin color, that those things can be different and they are still a family. Right. Um, so, like, things like that, that maybe if that, if that adoption piece hadn't been part of our lives, I think we would have been... We were aware of it, but I don't know that it would have come to the forefront as much as it has for us having our youngest daughter. So right. I hope that kind of answers your question. It does. Yeah, it, does. it does. And and uh, we're going to have to head over to a commercial break for just a few minutes, and we'll be right back. Thanks. So we've just been talking with um, Becky, whose daughter... Um, uh, Melody the Diva is going to be headed into uh, <laughs> kindergarten. Um, I I have talked to some of my uh, friends who have uh, it's trans transracial adoption in their family with some older children and and have heard some some concerns, some worries that they have. Um, now they're like I said, they're older and they they both have boys, so I'm not sure how much difference that is. But when we talk about um, about me talking to my teenage son, having the talk about um, how to conduct himself, how to how to be in the world, even if the world isn't particularly nice to him or accepting of him, you know, things that he should do and shouldn't do that maybe are different than some of the, the instructions that his friends are getting. So um, I've had some friends who had older older black uh, white women with. Um, teenage black sons hmm. who have not grown up hearing the talk or in the culture or knowing that. So they didn't have the opportunity to have that kind of conversation um, for, for lack of knowledge, a lot of it. So they, they couldn't, they felt like there was a point when their whiteness wasn't covering their black sons anymore, but but uh-huh. they didn't have a history or a culture or a family to know how to handle it or what to say or how to how to start the conversation with them. So uh, have you had any um, struggles or do you anticipate any struggles with um, how you're raising your, your baby girl? We haven't yet, probably mostly just because of her age, because she's so young. 
um, you know, but that's one of those things where it's important to us to be part of a community of people who maybe do know how to have those conversations and, and have talked about that stuff and know more than we do. Um, I have had to ask a lot of questions from coworkers and friends and, you know, whether it's even just at first with like skincare and hair care and like she, you know, her hair is, um, that very, um, corkscrew curl, three mm-hmm. C curl. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look at you, um, Becky! I am it, so proud of you. Oh, I think I'm gonna cry. <laughs> she knows that she has three C hair. Okay, oh. sorry. Okay, go but, ahead. That, well, but I had to learn that. Yeah. I didn't know what that yeah. was, and I had to learn it, and I had to read about it, and I had to have people show me what to do, and um, you know, so we are we have just had to very much adapt and open this openness of, hey, if you have advice for us, we're all ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, please tell us what to do. We want to do this the best way we can for her. So, you know, even when it comes to like to, to skincare and hair care and those types of things, you know, that, but then leading on into more cultural pieces and helping her understand what that means, experiences that we as the majority culture haven't had and so don't can't speak from experience we know that we need other people to come alongside us and help us with that and we by no means pretend to know what we're doing because mm-hmm. we don't so mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's very important because we do anticipate things coming up that we might not even be able to anticipate because it has not been part of our experience mm-hmm. and there there just may be some things that were like, whoa, whoa, like, did that really just happen? I Like, what do we do with that? Right. And so we need people around us who we can say, hey, we need help because we have not had to deal with this and we want to do it well. So please help us. And that's so we, we do certainly have concerns um, that are overall, you know, we're just like, okay, we're just going to ask a lot of questions and we're going to ask for help and people give us articles or people say, here, we're going to show you how to do this or let's talk about that. Um, and that's, that's been really helpful. Um, I'm even part of a um, um, an online support group of families who have adapted transracially so that we can say to each other, um, hey, I ran into this, didn't think I was going to or didn't realize this was a thing, but um, let me put it out there so you guys know about it and here's what we did or here's a resource for everybody. You know, this is a great article to read or this is a great thing to think about. Mm-hmm. And so that's also been very helpful. Um, again, that community of people who are like-minded and wanting to learn and wanting to to do this the best that we can for our kids. I, I see some of the, the struggle, trying to anticipate your struggles, right? I see some of the things that we work on with Bridge the Divide. I, I can see that would be the same, a similar situation for you. So right now we're in the middle of a book, well, almost at the end of a book drive. And the books mm-hmm. aren't necessarily all books about civil rights or social justice or, you know, how to, how to, how to, um, resist. They're not all that way. Some of the books that we're trying to get are just show a person that looks different than the other person playing, just show them in the Mm -hmm. library, sitting around reading, but even just Mm -hmm. the representation inside the book. So we 
ask people mm-hmm. to buy these books so that our libraries will have them, so our schools will have them. Do you mm-hmm. um, have you thought about what you might have to do with your school or with your church or with your you know community to try to get other mm-hmm. people to educate themselves, even though they don't, they may not be inclined to do it or not know that it's something that's needed. Right. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a thought. Um, and that's been, even just in our, in our family, it's been interesting how an awareness of that is, is, has been developed more so over the last few years of like, like these books don't, these books have a whole bunch of white people in them. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. Where's all the black people? Where's all the brown people? Mm-hmm. So, like, looking for those kinds of books and toys and dolls and um, those kind of things. So, you know, it started kind of in the microcosm of our family, being aware of some some gaps that needed to be filled in and starting to learn how to fill those in and looking for those things. And then, yeah, looking at books my kids are bringing home from school, looking at what kind of books they're reading, and I have to just put in a plug for our school, the elementary school that our kids go to. Um, they're very intentional about um, the books that in the. They're they're just they're really intentional and pretty good about it. They have lots of different books that they read that that incorporate lots of different cultures, and they are very. Um, they talk a lot about like the civil rights movement and why that was important. They, they do it in a way that the kids can understand, but they're intentional about talking about it, bringing it up, um, talking about the importance of equality. And um, there's a culture that they've developed in that school where um, they are inclusive and intentional. And it's just expected that that's just the way it is. And the, the from the principal all the way down to the parapros, there's kind of, the, there's sort of a culture of intentionality of making the kids aware of, hey, not everybody's like you, both in culture or in ability or in um, life experience. You know, our, our older son, um, who is white, but has enormous trauma and has a lot of behavioral problems, um, you know, they have been amazing in, with him and with helping even the kids in his class understand, you know, Robert comes from a hard place. And so his mind works a little bit differently maybe than yours because you grew up in a family where you had food all the time and where nobody hurt you and where you always know where your parents are. He Things scare him because that didn't always happen for him. And that's allowed, so even just that piece of, yeah, he looks like you, but he's had some different experiences than maybe you guys have had. And so we need to be sensitive to that. So I just, man, I'll put in a plug for this school. We lucked out. This was not a school that we knew was like this. It just happened that our kids went there. Um, And we've been so impressed, and it gives me a lot of, encouragement as a mom who has kids you know our oldest son um has high functioning autism and they have been amazing in that same way with him and his different different abilities and struggles that he has as well and so um 
as a mom, knowing that my kids are in a school where, again, from the top down, it is intentional and it is proactive and they are very sensitive to these things. It gives me a lot of, of peace knowing that, okay, at least we're in a school where I don't have to fight for this stuff for my kids. They already, they already really view it as a priority. Where's that school in our community? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're making it. You, Heidi, who has little kids, I figure, yeah. I figure mine are just done. Whatever. They are what they are. I kind of like them, but I'm, I'm done <laughs> with that stuff. So, Heidi, you got to get in there. And Hey, you know I've been in schools. <laughs> that's, um, that's really fortunate that you have that kind of community and awareness mm-hmm. already to take a situation that could be filled with more struggle and to, to try to set you up in a way to, that you have, you know, the best potential to be successful and your daughter feels mm-hmm. love and understood and seen. Um, yeah. that would be a lot harder in communities where people don't have that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad I've been to Grand Rapids a lot. I know that's where you're from and it's, um, it's a really neat city. There's a lot of, it's Southwest Michigan is very white, mm-hmm. but it's also, yeah. um, Grand Rapids got its own little special thing going on. I don't know what mm-hmm. about it it is, but mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're exactly yeah. in the city or whatever, but um, and you don't need to disclose that, but <laughs> but just that area is it seems to have a lot of forward thinking mm-hmm. uh, and people that are I don't know creative and trying to do the right mm-hmm. thing and social justice and the arts and different things. So yes. Yeah, we're very fortunate to live in the area that that we do. Like I said, I don't. It just it just sort of happened happened to be there, and it's I, you know looking back, you see kind of how God puts you where He needs you to be and where it's going to be good for you, even though at the time you don't know that's where you're going to need to be. Right, divine providence. You know, right. and so yes. Um, for our listeners, um, I'm thinking more more people, even though transracial adoption is has really increased in the last decade. Uh, I was reading the stats on it. More people around, you know, that are listening to our podcast around here than not will have not personally um, adopted transracially, but they may have a friend or know of a family. And what is it that our listeners can do that would be supportive to families that have um, a child that's a different race than they are? That's a good question. Um, Be like Becky. Oh, no, that's not, that's not the right answer? Okay. <laughs> well, the world would just be great if that was the case. Right? <laughs> um, you know, I, think, um, I think sometimes one thing that we've noticed and, and, and we try to always address with a lot of grace um, sometimes people say stuff and they don't realize what they're saying, but it's really offensive. Mm. And like, these are people that I we, maybe we've known for a really long time or, you know, or maybe we haven't, but sometimes people say things and it's, and I think being open to hearing feedback from that family about, about mm. race and about what they're learning about race, because I know we certainly have learned some things and become more aware of some things you know, I'm sure we still have blind spots, um, but I think we're we're starting to see some of what our blind spots have maybe been, even though 
you know, you can try to be very open-minded and you can, but you're, you still have blind spots. And then, but then when you, you have this, you know, your own kid who you love so much, you start to see, oh, I, oh, I had, I had this blind spot and now I have that blind spot. And then people say stuff and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you shouldn't be saying that. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you realize that's actually pretty offensive? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think being able to hear feedback, um, from that family, maybe about things that they're learning or ways that they're being challenged um, to see things differently than maybe they did before. Um, and I think that's important because, um, I mean, we have not had the experience of anybody labeling us in any way as like, oh, you guys have become some crazy left-wing liberal, you know, kooks or something like that now that you're all about you know, racial equality and blah, blah, blah. Nobody's done that to us. Mm -hmm. But I could see how that could happen. I Mm. could see how um, some people might be like, wow, your views are really changing about things. This is, you know, this has really seemed to um, change what you think on social issues and things and, and maybe not be supportive of that. And I would just say, please be open to hearing what families are learning about their own prejudices and their own blind spots that maybe they weren't aware of, but they are becoming more aware of and want to fight against and change and get better about, you know, be open to hearing that from these families. Um, And honestly, I would say for any family who's adopted anybody, um, it's tough. There are so many challenges that come with um, bringing kids into your home who've been through trauma. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what age. Um, you know, they're there because the people who should have protected them didn't. And it doesn't matter how young they were when that happened, that creates trauma. And parenting kids with that is, um, that's a, it's a tough gig. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. tough gig. Um, and so I would say if you have friends who have adopted um, check in on them, ask them really truly, how are you guys doing? How can we pray for you? Do you need a meal once a week? Um, would it help if we came over and folded your laundry? Like some of those very practical things can be so meaningful to, to families who are, are having struggles that maybe a lot of kind of more typical families don't have. Becky, thank you so much for being willing to to share your story with us. We really appreciate it. Um, For our Bridge the Divide listeners, the summer is coming to a close. Be ready to come see us um, at our first monthly meeting uh, Tuesday, September 3rd, because the Monday is the holiday. And uh, we hope to talk to you again about um, racial reconciliation and community conversations. Thank you. Talk to you all later. Thanks, Becky. Bye, Becky. Thanks for listening. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and any program ideas. 
Spoken word artist Propaganda states, we need to consider the waters we swim in. Maybe it's not toxic to me, but it's toxic to my neighbor. And if it's toxic to my neighbor, it's probably toxic to me too. Let's breathe better water. Contact us on our website at www.bridgethedivide.life. You can email us info at bridgethedivide.life or reach us on social media. Facebook is Bridge the Divide Community and on Instagram, it's Bridge the Divide Podcast.